Morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? Is ready to receive and to be in the Word together this morning? Yes? A few of us are ready? Good. Um, trust that, that prayer and fasting was a blessing to you as well. Um, it was really good. I, I, was, I was so blessed and encouraged uh, this year in our time of prayer and fasting. Uh, not going to lie, I'm, I'm a little bit excited that at least the fasting part right now is, is over, <laughs> and, uh, but, but it was rich. So um, we've come to the end of that, but uh, today, this morning, is, is part two of this message that uh, we're looking at, the gift of prayer and fasting. And, you know, the thing is with prayer and fasting is it, it doesn't necessarily have to just end and be this one block that we do once a year, right? Like that's, that's not the way that I would um, even encourage us to embrace fasting in prayer. That's, it, we do an intentional time, but this is something that we want to embrace in our lives ongoing. So last week we looked at the gift of fasting to help us practice self-denial, to teach us self-control, and um, as a gift to feast on God. And if you missed that message, so if you're, if you're here uh, or if you're online and you missed it, I, I highly endorse that message. <laughs> All right? I'm saying that with a bit of a smile. But, but I, you know, I believe that rediscovering fasting in the church has the potential to have incredible impact in our relationship with Jesus. And that's, that's what I want to put to you. Um, oh, I just, I wanted to mention too, uh, sermon notes. If you want sermon notes this morning, uh, I won't be offended if you get up. They're on the back table. We have some copies there. If you're online, um, or actually if you go to the main pages of our, web, of our website, uh, right on the front page, there's a little button there on the right side that says today's sermon notes. You click on that and you get a PDF copy of those notes. So hope that that's a blessing. So when, when we talk about fasting, uh, in, a, in a thoroughly secular culture that is thoroughly post-Christian. And I want to suggest to you that that's where we're at. That if you have not awakened yourself to that reality, that is where we are. Thoroughly secular, thoroughly post-Christian, that's where we find ourselves. And, and to fool ourselves that we're not there is actually not going to do us any good. But... You know, the means by which, in a culture like that, the means by which we do apprenticeship to Jesus, as in the way that we live out and walk out our faith, will determine if we remain faithful and committed to the way of Jesus. That's what I want to put to you. That that's, it's super, super crucial. And so, Fasting is one of those practices that helps us to walk out that surrender to Jesus in very practical ways. It's a physical practice by which we learn in a very small way, uh, but again, it's impactful, what it means to crucify your flesh. Like you, when you're fasting, you are actually experiencing the crucifying of your flesh. You are feeling it. You're feeling your, 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 you're saying, I'm going to not allow my flesh to have what it wants. And so that's where fasting is, it's powerful for that. Um, so that's fasting. Today we want to turn to prayer. And I want to con we want to consider the gift that prayer is for our lives. And, and like fasting, 
You know, I'm going I'm to touch on three ways that prayer is a gift this morning, but there's, there's a ton of ways that prayer is a gift. I don't, you know, there's, there's many that we could talk about, but there's just three that I felt uh, that I wanted to focus on this morning, and that being that prayer is an extraordinary invitation, that it is the means to change, and it is spiritual nourishment for our lives. So I want to kind of focus on those three things. So prayer is an extraordinary invitation. Pete Gregg uh, I don't know if you've heard of him. He's the leader of the 24-7 prayer movement uh, out of the UK. Um, and and he, t- uh, he has a devotional I was actually doing during prayer and fasting. And in there he talks about the invitation that we've received in prayer. And if, if you were on our Zoom uh, prayer a couple weeks ago, I shared some of this. But I, I, just, I, was, I was really blessed by this uh, analogy where he, he, he talked to me. He says, imagine if you received a call from the prime minister or the president and that you were invited, and, and he advised you that you've been randomly selected out of the whole pool of voters. You've been selected to come and to share with the government your thoughts on where the country's at, share your perspective on a whole range of issues, and you were invited to do that. I, I think you'd find the time to go. Regardless of what you think about our leaders, I think you'd find the time to go. I think you would actually probably receive it as one of the greatest honors of your life, that you get to speak into that, and, they want to, and that they want to listen to you. Now, I, here's the thing. I want to propose to you, and this is what Pete Gregg says in this thing, that as a Christian, you have received an even greater invitation That God has requested your presence at the very table of his government. Okay? And that you are called, he's calling you to have influence on his actions, uh, on his behalf. Do you think about prayer like that? And and so in this devotional, Pete Gregg, he, he says, it's an unspeakable honor that we have been given. And yet, we are often too busy we're too disbelieving or we're too insecure to accept this greatest invitation in our lives. And I wonder if we see prayer as that in our lives. You go, well, I don't know about that. Well, I want to bring up Exodus 32. Some of you might have thought about this. Moses, he, in there, he goes up on Mount Sinai to receive the law from God. He's on the mountain with God. And it says the people grew restless. They grew impatient. And they said, where is Moses? And, and the, the, um, the way the text is written in the Hebrew, it's like they're, there's actually they're, they're negative towards Moses. They're like, we're, like this guy, like he's gone. And, and so they're very negative and they, they allow fear to permeate their lives. And they turned to worship a golden calf that they had Aaron make for them. Or it's almost like uh, the Hebrew sort of suggests it was more like a golden bull. And, and when you read through the account there of how they went about this, like their unbelief is staggering. It's just staggering what they do. And, and they tell themselves, this is how, how, how mad it gets. They tell themselves that this idol they're worshiping is the one that brought them out of Egypt. And it's like... What, have you guys forgotten what happened? But they, they are totally blind to their foolishness. Their, their eyes are totally deceived. And, the, and you, know, you think about what we're going through right now, and you might go like, where is God in these days? Right? Like, why is he allowing all of this? Why? And, and how we respond in these days 
says a lot about our spiritual maturity. A lot. Now, and the thing is too, the Israelites, they didn't wholly reject the Lord. In fact, it says they added this golden bull or calf to their worship. In fact, Aaron even says, let's have a feast to the Lord. And then they engaged in all manner of sexual debauchery. With the, like, it's, it's madness what they did. They bowed down to the idol, it says. They sacrificed to it. So all this happens. And then the Lord tells Moses up on the mountain. He says, this is what's happening down below. He says, you've got to go down. And then he says to Moses, he says, you know what? He says, he reveals to him, it says, I am going to destroy Israel and I'm going to make you a new nation. Now, I want to suggest that everything that Moses had, had been happening to him, the way the people had been rejecting him before that even, the way they'd treated him, like if the Lord says, hey, you know what? These people, I'm done with them and I'm going to make a new nation for you. I'd be like, that's not a bad deal for Moses, right? But Moses, it says, he sought the Lord. And he pleads with God and he says, don't do it. God, don't do it. And he, and he says, remember your promises. And, he, and he, he says, God, remember your promises to Abraham. Remember the promises that you have made to this people. And it says, this is extraordinary. It says, God relented. God relented from it. So, I'll, you know, I read that and I go, okay, are we meant to think that God deals with empty, in empty threats? Like, was that an empty threat that he made to Moses? I don't think so. That's not the God that we see in Scripture. Or, or are we meant to see that we can appeal to God and that we're invited to pray extraordinary prayers for God to move? So I want to put that to you, and then I want to bring us, let's fast forward us to Matthew 18, 18 to 20. I'm going to have it behind me on the screen. Jesus says there, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So th this is the outworking. We prayed it this morning. And we recited, this is the outworking of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This, this is not passive resignation to whatever will be will be. Which I think if we're honest, sometimes we can operate and live like that. Like whatever, it's just going to be what it'll be. That's not what this is. This is fervent prayer in Matthew 18. Jesus is calling you to fervent prayer for God to move, to act, to bring about his kingdom and his purposes on this earth. And, and I would suggest that prayer is an invitation to seek our Father, to ask him to move in specific situations, specific circumstances. And, and I think, I mean, this raises some important questions too that we've got to be honest about right and realize that we don't have the answer to everything questions like well is God limited if we don't pray I mean that that's a question that might come up or will God not move if I don't pray enough I think people think that too oh you know what God's not moving because I'm not I just got to pray more I got to pray more I got to pray more I, mean, I I've had those conversations with people we I, I know that you've probably at some point thought that in your life 
I have had that temptation. I've thought that. I'm not praying enough. That's why God's not moving in this way. But is that God's intent? Or are we meant to see that prayer is powerful and God invites you into relationship through it? Yeah, there's mystery. We don't have an answer to all the questions. You never will. But there's also an invitation. So how how do we approach prayer? Do we see it as an extraordinary invitation to partner with God in prayer? For specific situations, for specific circumstances, in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our province, in our nation, etc., etc., So I've been really challenged by the Lord during our time of prayer and fasting. I mean, this has been for me front and center. I've been challenged. Lord's like, Paul, do you believe this? Like, amidst everything going on right now, do you believe that? Not like, do you say that to the church, but do you believe that? So, you know, the reality is, I can at times struggle where I can approach a list of prayer items for the church with pessimism, and lack of faith, right, where there can be that inclination, like, what, what does it matter, right, what's, what's really going to change, does it matter if I pray, like, really? So, one morning, the first week of prayer and fasting, I was spending time with Jesus, and uh, I was reading Luke 18 as part of a devotional, and a devotional in prayer, and Luke 18 is the parable of the persistent widow, wouldn't give up asking for justice. And God, Jesus says there in that parable, he says, will not God act on behalf of those who cry day and night to him? And I felt in that moment, I felt a personal challenge from the Lord where God said to me, he says, Paul, this is an encouragement for you to pray and persevere. Pray and persevere. And I, and I needed that personal word. Like I needed it. Like, it, you know, it's like when you receive that rhema word from the Lord, where it's like, this is a personal word, I'm like, yep, I'm receiving that. And that word is sustaining me during this time. I, I, I'm still, I keep going back to it. Yep, I know the Lord spoke that to me. I know it was him. And Jesus concludes that parable. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Meaning, like in the context of it, what he's meaning is, will he find people who are persevering in prayer? So, do we need to be challenged to believe? To see prayer as an extraordinary invitation. To really embrace, like to really embrace in 2022, that prayer matters. That it matters. To, that to receive this even when we struggle to believe. Because you will. You will struggle at times to believe. You will have doubts. And we'll go, no, we're going to pray. We're going to persevere. To believe in the power of prayer together. Which is just so thoroughly biblical. To commit to praying with others in the church. For the church. I want to I put that to you for 2022. That you would, you would see that committing to pray with others in the church for the church is so crucial. Are we willing to embrace this? Secondly, secondly, the prayer is a gift. Prayer is the means to change. You know, prayer invites the change agent, if you will, 
the Holy Spirit into our lives. It is inviting God into our lives. This is an intentional pursuit to hear and to respond to God's voice. Creating that space to examine ourselves and listen to God. Prayer teaches us to be slow to speak and quick to listen. And this is a thing too in prayer. There's a danger in prayer to really approach it as transactional. Right? To say, like, I have a list of items that I want to get from God or I want God to move in this way. And, and it's this thing of we give him our lists and our wants and we're expecting him to act in accordance with, with our will, what we want to see happen. And the thing is that Jesus doesn't present or model prayer like that. Rather, Jesus presents prayer as asking God to move us onto his agenda and his purposes. When, when the disciples come to Jesus and they say, okay, Jesus, like, teach us how to pray. He intentionally directs them onto the Father and away from themselves. He doesn't, he doesn't put the focus on them at all. It begins with embracing, and we, this is, we recited it this morning. And, and just a side note, Carlin, he came to me this morning, he says, hey, what do you, what do you think about the, the idea? I think maybe I have this... this inclination from the Lord that we should uh, do the Lord's prayer before as part of our message I'm like or before as part of our service I'm like well I'm like it's it's all throughout my message so you know it's it's this it begins with embracing God as our father in heaven and we declare his holiness right hallowed be your name is God you're holy you're holy it's affirming his otherness. It's, it's affirming God's transcendence. He is not like us. It's, we are saying, you're holy, you're set apart, not like us. Yes, God is our father, he is, but he's holy. It also reminds us, you're not. We're not holy. We are not equal to him, which is that, that thing of like wanting equality with God, that is the root of all pride and all sin, ultimately. No, I don't have to listen. I'm gonna do my own thing. It reminds us that God is over all things. He's in control of all things and that we're called to worship him. And so that postures us then to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done which is us asking for God's way and surrendering our will to this way. See, I, I think I've done this too. And maybe you can identify this where when you pray and you can almost pray that at the end of a prayer, like, well, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. Blanket covering. Blanket covering. It's like you're putting a whole blanket over your prayer. You know, when you're confused about something or you're praying, like, honestly, you ever, where you're, you're praying about something and you're confused about the situation, like, I don't know how to pray. Or like, even when you're like really passionate about something and you really want something to happen and you really want God to move in this way and then you're like, okay, your kingdom come, your will be done. Okay, blanket, blanket prayer, blanket over everything. <laughs> we can do that, right? It's kind of like this safety blanket we just throw on at the end. Okay, God, it's, it's all, whatever you want to do. Yes, like there is something to that, but it's, it's more than that here. It's, it's admitting to ourselves and to God that we have a will that many times wants to walk in opposition to his way. 
And we're saying, I recognize this God. I recognize that my will many times doesn't want to surrender to your way. And so I'm praying, I want, help me please to surrender to your will. This is real, and this is ground zero, if you will, when it comes to change and transformation in our lives. Because the question is, do I really want God's will? Like really when it comes down to it. Do I really or am I kind of just giving lip service, but really when it gets down to it, I want my way. So there's a situation this week that I had. Um, <laughs> might have been the result of prayer and fasting. Probably was a little bit of the result of fasting and that I was a little bit irritable. And you know, when, when you're fasting and, and stuff comes to the surface, right? Talked about that last week. God allows things in our lives to come to the surface when we're going without food. And I overreacted in a situation. And I made some assumptions in this situation. And I, I tend to be passionate and emotional in my life. Those of you who know me well, you know that. that that's, that's partly who I am. And so in this situation, I had to make a choice. Will I surrender my will? Like, will I repent and will I admit my weakness? Because I, I had a conversation with this person after, and I felt this battle of my will in the moment. Like as we're talking this through, and we're, and we're, we're clarifying with one another what happened, and, and you know, the assumptions that we both made, and I, and I could feel the battle of my will in that, in that moment of going, I'm going to have to admit wrong here. I, I'm going to have to hum, humble myself, and I'm going to have to admit that I made a mistake, and that I sinned, and I need to repent. And I could, feel, I could feel in the moment, Satan was like tugging at me and, 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 you know, things in me going, you don't want to do that, Paul. And I realized the buttons he was pushing that are part of my makeup to try and tempt me to kind of like dig in. You ever get that in the moment where you, like, you feel that inclination? Like right in the moment, it's like, I, I could dig in right here. I have a choice. Right here, am I going to dig in or am I going to humble myself? And me and this other person, we were, able to, we were able to repent to one another, we were able to pray for one another, and we didn't allow Satan to gain a foothold in our lives and in our relationship. But I could, in the moment, it was this thing of surrender. Our will or God's will is something we will keep battling. You will battle this for the rest of your life on this earth. It, it, in times it may get easier, there, there's situations that will get easier, but you will still battle it at, at times. This was the choice for Jesus in the garden. Think about Jesus, right? He has done the Father's will. He's lived in, in obedience to the Father, in communion with the Father. He gets to the garden of Gethsemane, and it's really like this is crunch time. This is like where it's like, this is where it comes down to. And Jesus says, he says, Father, if you will take this cup from me, I don't want to do this. Like Jesus is like, could you find another way, Father? Would you please make another way? I, like Jesus was wrestling. We don't talk about that. And Jesus was wrestling in that moment, but he made that choice. He says, but not my will, but your will. At the end of the day, Father, I am surrendering my will to you. Psalm 73 speaks of really wrestling 
and struggling with the, the pros, in, in this case, in Psalm 73, the, the psalmist is struggling with the prosperity of the wicked and how they get away with stuff. And he's, he's like, I think it's really relevant for our lives when you read Psalm 73. You see stuff that's going on. You get, be honest, you get ticked off. You get ticked off by what you see with people. You get ticked off by government officials. You get ticked off with this and that. This is what Psalm 73 is about. The psalmist says, I was deeply troubled, he says, until he sought God. And then there was this shift, this realization of the need to change in him. The surrendering of our will in prayer, I want to suggest, is a catalyst for transformation. The surrender, where you, you surrender. You're like, no, I really surrender, God. That's a catalyst to bring transformation in our lives. Do we see prayer as powerful to bring transformation, the means for change in our lives? Do we, do we see prayer as that? Or, or do we sometimes, if we're honest, we're like, actually, I kind of think prayer is irrelevant. I, I need, you know, I need to make things happen myself. I just need to get through it. Dallas Willard, he comments on this. He says, nothing is more relevant to social conditions than the transformation of persons that comes from prayer at its best in the life of the disciple of Christ. He's saying, what he's saying there is that there is transformation to be had that impacts everything around you as in, through prayer. As you surrender your will, God brings transformation. And prayer, when we see it as relational, right? we're, not, we're not touching a lot on that right now, but, but prayer is relational. When we see it as that and not transactional. It's a gift to bring change in our lives and in, and in the lives of others that you touch. I don't know if we think about that too, that as, as there's change in us happening, that transformation is touching the lives of others. We're impacting others. All right, lastly, third way that prayer is a gift. Prayer is spiritual nourishment. So one, one of the, the reasons fasting food is so challenging is, is because of that removal of physical nourishment, right? You are, you are actually removing that nourishment that you get from food. You're, you're intentionally, as I said before, you're starving your flesh uh, to remove that comfort of food that can serve as a substitute for real nourishment. It, it, it blocks it, it covers it over. And, and that nourishment, the real nourishment that we need, that nourishment for our soul that comes from Jesus. And that's, that's where the inclusion of prayer into this is so important. Fasting is not meant to be seen in isolation from other spiritual disciplines. That's why you know, when we talk about prayer and fasting, it, it goes together. Fasting in scripture is interwoven with silence and solitude and prayer. Richard Foster, he makes the point that when Jesus speaks of fasting uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he's giving all the teaching there, it's done actually within the context of giving and prayer. He says, it's as if there's an almost unconscious assumption that giving, praying, and fasting are all part of Christian devotion. Jesus, he speaks of prayer and fasting as intertwined. 
Alongside fasting, there's this intentional focus on prayer. And, and it's necessary if fasting is going to have its full effect, right? We're not, we're not fasting for the sake of fasting. We're not, we're not fasting for the sake of just starving our bodies. We're, we're fasting for union, communion with God. And that's where prayer is so important. So we were having this conversation with our kids during prayer and fasting at home. And we were just discussing, okay, okay guys, what does it mean to give up something uh, in order for, you know, for you to seek God? It's, it's not, not just being an end to itself, right? Like you're not giving this up just to say, I gave that up. No, 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 no. What is this done with? And so we were talking about there's this purpose to create room and space to seek God and invite him to speak into our lives. Not, not to fill that void, like I give that up, but now I, I fill that void with something else. Well, that defeats the purpose of what it is. This is where prayer, silence, solitude comes alongside fasting. And, you know, I, I shared this last week, but it's true. Fasting is hard work. Like, like it is, it is, it's difficult. Um, and, and this is where the practice of fasting, more than just once a year, again, not just seeing it as like, oh, it's this two-week block. And No, no, seeing fasting as something that we do consistently, actually, like, like bringing intermittent fasting into our lives in, on some level consistently, which actually then prepares us more for it. Yeah, I, you know, I... Even the second week, like I don't, I don't particularly relish fasting, right? Like I, there, there was times again this last week where I was like, "This is really, really difficult." But where, where I felt like I've, I've gained a conviction in it personally is that I don't, if I, even if I don't like it, and it's so difficult at times, it is absolutely necessary for my apprenticeship to Jesus. Like it is absolutely something that I need to do to be more like Jesus. And, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't look forward to it. I don't, like, come up to it, you know, <laughs> super excited. But, but the thing is, in the moment, like, in the moment, in that time of fasting, I, I do, I enjoy that communion with Jesus. Uh, there's something profoundly sweet about it. Yeah, I just, I want to, no, I'm going to skip some of this. Other, just to say, a lot, just to kind of bring this back, because I don't want to talk about fasting too much, but prayer is a powerful tool alongside fasting in our spiritual toolkit, if you will. There, there, is, there is clarity that comes from hearing Jesus. Now, when I say that too, I'm, I'm, I want to just be clear. I'm, I'm saying hearing Jesus through Scripture. Right? I'm rooting myself in the word. I'm, I'm listening to Jesus through the word. I'm not, I'm not looking for separate words. Not that he doesn't speak personal words to me, but I'm, I'm being rooted in scripture as I fast, hearing the Lord through his word. So, John 15, 7, and then John 15, 16, it's very similar things. Jesus is speaking there. And first he says, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And then he says, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. We, we can see here, and, I, and I'm sure that we've heard at times, 
how these words can be received. You can receive these words in isolation to make it about us and what we want when it comes to prayer, right? And it, and it, and it leads, the, the danger is that this leads to all manner of disillusionment when we don't get what we've come to expect from God. And we go, well, I thought you, like whatever we ask in your name, why aren't you giving that to me? And it can, it can really end up with people being disillusioned. Or you might sometimes set limits on, on when you expect something to happen, right? We want something to happen and we almost subconsciously, we put a limit on it, like within when we expect God to move. And then we're like, why aren't you moving God? And, and the thing about these words, and there's other, I'm just picking two examples. There's other places in the New Testament like this. These words are not spoken in a vacuum. They're not, they're not meant to be pulled out and embraced in a way that they were never meant. John 15, when Jesus is speaking there in John 15, he is speaking about the necessity of abiding in him. He's, he's talking about experiencing deep union with him and being sustained by his life. That's the context of what he's saying here. And he's saying there too, he says, apart from me, if you're not rooted in me and sustained by me, you can't, do, you can't do anything. And so the context of asking and receiving whatever you wish, whatever we wish, is that we're abiding in Jesus. That's the context, that his, his heart is becoming our heart. That we're being nourished by his word, we're being nourished by his life. It's not treating God like a vending machine. Where I just come and I expect to get what I want. Because if, if we do, if we approach prayer like that, you will end up disillusioned. You will end up very disillusioned. Now, yes, having said all that, God does love to meet us in prayer and he loves to move as we seek him. Absolutely, he is a good father who loves to give us good gifts. Matthew 7, he talks about that. So I'm not saying that, that he doesn't love to move on behalf of his people. He does. But it's not about treating God as some sort of genie that's gonna grant us wishes as we want. And so we, we do, we've gotta wrestle with this when it comes to prayer. And the thing is, having said all that, I was thinking about this, and I'm like, you know, I actually, like it's important for us to work through that in our lives, how we see that with prayer. I honestly don't think that's our main problem though, in our culture and in, uh, right now. I don't, I don't think that's the big thing. I think the far greater danger right now when it comes to prayer is that we have so much, we have so little need, truly, that we just look to make things happen ourselves. That, and, and, and many times we can because we live in such affluent, affluence and comfort. And, and so, you know, I wanna suggest that we're not all that desperate. We're, we're, in, we're comfortable and so, in that, we feel so little inclination to make prayer a consistent practice in our lives. And when we do, when something happens, we do, what do we do? We have this inclination to make it all about us. But what if we are to see prayer as a gift to abide and to be nourished by Jesus? That, it is, that prayer is actually spiritual nourishment. That prayer is to have your life fed by the vine. 
You know one of the interesting things about that? I heard this lately, and I, it's something I was thinking about. When he talks there in John 15 about you are the branches, I'm the vine, you know, you remain in me, and you, you have to be nourished, and all this, this picture of the vine. It's a grapevine, the picture. Where, where does the vine end and the branch begin? What, the, sorry? Yeah, at the root. That's very, it's very interesting to think about that. Brendan Manning, I want to, I want to, this, this quote was, uh, I thought was really good. What if the hour you spend in the prayer room is when you refocus on Jesus so that you can carry his presence with you into the other 23 hours of the day with a heightened awareness that he is with you, he is for you, that he likes you, that he hears your thoughts. You start to pray in real time. You instinctively lift situations to the Lord in the actual moment that you experience them while you are watching that distressing news report or hearing about your friend's latest crisis. You're no longer deferring all your prayers to some later holier moment because your whole life is becoming that holier moment. Why? Because we're nourished. We're abiding in the vine. So I want to I suggest that prayer ultimately is about union with Jesus and aligning ourselves with God's mission in the world. That's what Jesus was pointing us to. The invitation to pray for God to move. So when we think about the Lord's Prayer, it's a blueprint that we have to guide us. Father, holy is your name. We start there. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. In LCF, in Landmark, in this region, in Manitoba, in Canada, in, on this earth, as in heaven. Your will, not ours. Provide for our needs, God, not our wants. Forgive us when we choose to forgive others. We, forgi- we are forgiven by him, but we choose to forgive others. Keep us from temptation and deliver us from the evil one. So, Again, you know, like I said before, our, our, our intentional time on prayer and fasting may have come to an end, so to speak. But it doesn't mean prayer and fasting has to come to an end. Right? This is something that we, we embrace as a spiritual discipline, as spiritual formation in our lives, however we feel the Lord directing us to do it. And that's, that's part of it, too. When it comes to fasting, it's about obedience to the Lord. You know, when you, when, you, when you seek the Lord and you ask him, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then he tells you, that's, that's really then where you have peace to go, I know what the Lord has told me to do. I have grace for it because the Lord has told me this. Okay, I want to leave us as we end um, with some applications, some questions to help us as we, as we go forth. Number one, Where does my perspective on prayer need to shift for my faith to grow? Two, in what ways is prayer bringing change in my life? 
What area of my life can I continue to pray into? Three, where am I longing? Where am I longing for spiritual nourishment from Jesus? Where do you long for that? Where do you long for him to meet you, to bring you what you need? Four, how will I commit to grow my prayer life in 2022? What is one intentional step I will take? How can I integrate, number five, how can I integrate fasting alongside prayer in my life in 2022? All right, why don't we, uh, Jen, you can come up and why don't we, why don't we pray? Father, we want to receive your heart when it comes to prayer, when it comes to relationship, when it comes to the gift that it is. And God, we're, we're really in some ways, ways really just scratching the surface this morning. This is, this is just, just a little bit. There's, there's profound riches to be found in prayer and profound nourishment for our souls. And Jesus, we want to receive and we want to embrace prayer as you've modeled it and as you've given it to us. God, I pray that we would receive prayer as the gift that it's meant to be received. I pray that it wouldn't be a heavy, I pray that it wouldn't be in any way legalistic in our lives. I pray that it wouldn't be uh, something that doesn't bring life. But Lord, I pray that in every way that we would see prayer as something that gives us profound life. And God, we pray that you would grow prayer in us in 2022. Lord, again, we wanna ask that you would form us more to be like you. Jesus, that we would embrace prayer to an even greater extent this year in our lives and in the church. And Jesus, we want to pray that with expectation for how you're going to move in our midst and how you're going to work in our hearts. And we thank you. Amen. Mm-hmm.